0: Welcome to a new episode of Riada, a podcast about all things entrepreneurship in the MENA region. I'm Marissa Khurma, director of the Middle East Program here at the Wilson Center, and my co-host Ayman Shawa of the Howdy Arabia podcast joins me from Amman, Jordan. Today's guest is a Palestinian film director, writer, and poet, Hind Shofani, whose life experiences in Damascus, Amman, Beirut, Dubai, and NYC, have shaped her values, her stories, and her career trajectory. As a Palestinian, she's also brought her Palestinian stories and identity into the works of art she produces. Hind co-wrote The Present, a short film that won accolades and was nominated for a Best Short Academy Award in 2021. So Hind, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Marisa. Thank you, Aymad. Hi to everyone. Hi to the listeners. What an honor. I'm so, so grateful to be here and uh, very, very happy to be talking to both of you. So thanks for this. That's really kind of you.
0: Thank you. Um, So let's start with with the question that we always kick off with our guests on Riada. What is your story, Hind? How did you end up in the arts, particularly film, uh, but also poetry?
1: Okay, thanks. Uh, you know, I guess I have to credit my mother with with this, really. My mother was, um, my mother who passed away quite young, was an English literature major and a great storyteller and a lover of the arts and culture and someone who was very open-minded and very ambitious and a, a very hardworking person. And when I was about 16, 17, and I was in Damascus and I was going off to Beirut to study either at LAU or AUB, you know, I kind of wanted to be like a criminal forensic, uh, like detective, you know, (laughs) I wanted to be a (laughs) bunch of different things. And uh, those things would have been very difficult in 1995 for a Georgian girl, Palestinian girl. So, you know, with my personality and with my love of language, I was always very much into the world of language and stories. My mom suggested communication arts, which I didn't really know much about. I remember she said, stand up and pretend you're on CNN and you read the news, you know, and I did at 17. And she laughed and she said, you would be great at this. I mean, in fact, I would be terrible as an anchor. And I did work as a as a, a reporter for a while. But, um, but she said, you know, there's theater, film, radio, television. You can produce, direct, write, act, sing, uh, you know, you can edit, you can write. I mean, it's such a wide variety of things that would be very, I think, very appropriate for your personality and you would have so much that you could do with this work. So I said, okay, I'll do some communication arts. My main focus was theater. I thought that theater was the way to go. The first year of university, I was a sophomore at 17. I was the youngest in all of you know the class. And I really loved my theater classes. But the minute we started doing film, I just knew. I just knew there was just something. And um, I just knew that I was kind of extremely intrigued and kind of obsessed with this idea of recreating reality as you see it. Um, and I was never, I don't think, really into fiction. I never began my life with wanting to create imaginative stories. I've always, always, I think, been very interested in looking at the world around me, finding what is intriguing in it, and then reshaping that, um, experience through my own prism my own lens and my own thoughts on it and that's why I've done a lot of work in documentary and I'm just beginning now to get into fiction but I do work between the worlds of kind of video art documentary and experimental essay film um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah at 17 18 I discovered film and um, just never looked back I'm one of those very, very, very lucky people. I know this from a lot of young people I mentor, my students I've taught at universities, the children of my mom's friends, is that a lot of people take a lot of time to discover what they're good at and what they love, what mm-hmm. their is, how they can make money, and what is the intersection between what they're good at, what they love, and what they can survive with. And I, I think one, one of the few people, you know, that I, I, from our class and from the region, not few, but, but one of the privileged, I would say, is that I've always been able to work in the field that I studied. And I never, mm-hmm. ever doubted that it was what I was meant to do. And um, I think at the essence of it, it's just a love of expression, a love of mm-hmm. storytelling, very much a cliche, but it kind of, you know, is true. Uh, a love of reflecting the world that I'm in back at the at the at the larger universe,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, using any medium to do it, whether it's language, video art, documentary, animation, fiction, whatever it is, it's this idea of encapsulating uh, memory. As I mm-hmm. grew up more and more and more and more, and now I'm 44, I'm probably practically middle aged. Um, I realized that the that the main driving force for me to work in these fields, whether it's essay writing, fiction, poetry, or documentary, is I have an obsession with trying to harness the past, trying to freeze it, trying to recreate uh, the experience. I have a very high sense of nostalgia. And, um, and this is one of the ways that I can control the world around me is to mm-hmm. capture it, archive it, commemorate it, honor it, and keep it. I like the permanence, which is probably why I never did theater. I like the permanence of mm-hmm. writing and filmmaking. It's like something that is there forever. Yeah. Um, and the older I got, the more I realized that I was always going to be a child-free person by choice. And when you're child-free, you know, what is your legacy beyond, beyond the work that you do in your community? I realized that also my work had become part of the way that I am not totally forgotten uh, when I'm gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot of different layers to it. You know, it's partly, yeah. um, sorry, I'm rambling. I should probably stop and you can ask the no. next question. Just feel what free to
0: you, sh- You're I'm, not all rambling. You, you gave, uh, I think, both of us so much to follow up on. And, and I'm, I'm going to follow up on one thing and then turn it over to Imad. Um, you know, when you when you started at seventeen, eighteen, um, I, I mean, it, it, it must have been a, a bit of a sort of, you know, not lonely, but maybe um, I mean, it's it's a new sector in the region that's not as appreciated in other parts of the of the world, particularly in the West. And so, what are some of the challenges that you faced, and how did you tackle? Any pushback? If 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 you did experience pushback, so you know. Also, I'm
1: I'm going to respond to this. Also, very keenly aware that it's a place of privilege. At the time, I wasn't aware of the world privilege because it was 1995, and I was a refugee and had no money. So, I didn't think of myself as privileged, but I definitely was. Um, first of all, I have a very very open minded family, and you know, my parents were both socialist feminists. Um, very much activists. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, secular, highly secular. And Mm -hmm. therefore, the freedom that I had, I was living alone at 17. And um, I have never moved back in with my parents after leaving my dad's home at 17. So the kind of freedom I had, both intellectually, both over the agency over my body and my thoughts, my parents always um, encouraged critical thinking, encouraged independence, and so I, I wasn't, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't your average Arab girl dealing with issues of the patriarchy, issues mm-hmm. of uh, male cousins or brothers or fathers or all of that sort of terrible stuff. Right. So that was one part. The second part was, no, I, I did not enter into a space that was uh, where this was uncommon. The Lebanese American mm-hmm. University has a very long history of communication arts. I joined group of brilliant artists, whether theater makers or writers or actors. It was a very vivacious and very bold and also highly uncensored space. We were talking about sex and religion and feminism and the patriarchy and all sorts of things that were our teachers very much encouraged. I mean, maybe I went too far in some of my projects, but nobody has ever rebuked me. And I was allowed to go as wild as I wanted. I mean, I really, really... Was given a, a space in that tiny microcosm, tiny little environment, in the LAU uh, communications department. Really, I, I I felt so comfortable and safe and loved. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> you know, we worked very hard in the theater. We worked on our films. We wrote our scripts. We danced. We we partied a lot. And Beirut was an incredible, incredible place post war. 95 till 2002 when I went to NYU. Those seven years were I think some of the best seven years I've ever spent in Lebanon, having lived in and out of Lebanon most of my life. Mm. Um, There was a high sense of community, of camaraderie, of art, of culture. Everybody was very outspoken. It was kind of intense. And this is obviously very different from how my life was in Amman and how my life was in Damascus. Mm. And that's why I chose to stay in Beirut after I graduated My dad said to me, you know, if you want to come back home to Syria, I can feed you and house you. But if you want to live in Lebanon, you got to get a full-time job and take care of yourself. And I was 19 and I had just lost my mother. And I said, Mm -hmm. yep, I'll get a job. I'll stay in Lebanon. And, uh, you know, rent was like a couple of hundred dollars. So it wasn't that impossible at the time. Um, But I I immediately got a job in TV production. I immediately got a job um, writing scripts for TV shows. I immediately got a job in journalism, in reporting, I had three or four different jobs. And, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, I didn't, I didn't explore an artistic experience necessarily in the sense that I went off and made short films or wrote a book or I didn't explore any of that side. At that point, I wasn't a poet or a writer yet. I was just a girl in film, television. But I could easily survive and exist and learn and hustle and be happy making documentaries between, Mm -hmm. you know, know, between 1999 and 2002 when I left to the States. And uh, it was an act of survival. It was an act of getting work. It was an act of full-time gigs. But I was also working with incredible people um, who today have very high positions, both in film and television and in the arts. And so it was a great, you know, it was a great thing for a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old to be able to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And even though it didn't yield necessarily any art, I mean, still, I have to say at my age, I haven't made the art that I'd like to make. And this year is the year that a lot of my projects are about to go out into the world. And so I'm excited now. But at the time, 25 years ago, it was more an act of, you know, get a job, get some experience, apply to a master's program and go get a master's program. And were there challenges for me personally? No. And I know that's not a common answer, but for me, no. I know that there were women in my field who were harassed and bothered. There's something about my energy, my masculine energy. There's something about my very tough persona where the men kind of behaved. And I've been lucky. I've been very, very lucky with Mm -hmm. the teams I've worked with. I've been blessed and lucky I can't, you know, I can't say otherwise. It's been a very privileged position
2: to be in. Yeah, I mean, talk about uh, being at the right place at the right time. Um, Beirut of the '90s, if you compare yeah. it to uh, uh, Amman, Damascus, uh, Cairo, uh, there was no modern Dubai. Those uh, everywhere was very socially and academically conservative compared to Beirut. So and mm. so, yeah, those that decade. Was like the golden decade, the post, post uh, the civil war in Lebanon. So yeah, that was yeah. that was pretty amazing to be to be there. Um, it
1: was, and you know, there were no rules and regulations. There were no stoplights. I mean, it was just chaos. <laughs> it was pure chaos. It's it's a miracle that we survived it because you know we were driving around at six in the morning on highways after partying all night. I mean, it was a pretty wild scene. And I think that works very well with with theater and film and music and writing. I think that does encourage. Yeah. And Hamra was a Absolutely. beautiful space. It hadn't lost its vintage feel of the 70s. We could still get a $1 coffee at Modka and Wimpy and sit around and meet, you know, really old school poets and communists and fighters and... You know, and I was very politically engaged. That was very much a part of my consciousness at the time that I suddenly became Mm -hmm. aware of what leftist politics were, of what an occupation is, of what resistance is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that also very much um, fed into the work that I did and continues to do so.
2: Wow. Um, Speaking of of political awareness, um, how would you compare, I mean, you've lived in New York and you've lived in the MENA region. Uh, in terms of where you see yourself fitting in, maybe in the future, do you, how would you compare the let's call it the Palestine solidarity community in you know on the East Coast, uh, New York, versus uh, the space available in, in the MENA region for that kind of expression? And do you see yourself, Yani, necessarily continuing you know more projects in, in that community artistically?
1: Which community, in the Mina or in, like the
2: in New- Palestine the Palestine solidarity community, uh, um, in terms of output, like uh, I'm noticing a lot of content out there that's that, that that has the intention of shedding light on the social, you know, injustice the civil the civil rights issues for Palestinians. Um, is that you know, how, what would you would you say your experience has been in the Middle East versus being in New York? in terms of uh, that whole direction?
1: I mean, what I'm about to say is going to get me cancelled before I even land in New York. So fine, (laughs) let's just go with it. (laughs) Um, So I'm in a very weird position, being a very westernized Arab with an American mom who's also Palestinian from Nazareth. I grew up as a very westernized Arab. Um, My dad's family comes from a Catholic space. And so I didn't grow up you know, in a traditional environment in the Middle East, I'm a minority within a minority. And only now at 44 do I realize to what extent I'm a minority within a minority. At the time, I didn't, when I was growing up, I just thought I was like everyone else. And I fit in in Damascus, I fit in in Amman and in Beirut. And I felt part of the environment, which is actually an amazing experience because I've never been othered. I've never been othered. I've never had racism against me. Aside from mm-hmm. a couple of cute Maronite boys in Beirut who I had a crush on who wouldn't date me because I was Palestinian, but my mom eventually explained, you know, you're not going to date this boy who's from East Beirut. You know, <laughs> I had to learn that. But um, aside from that, you know, I've, I've always felt very integrated into my community. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm, you know, moving back to New York this year and spending a lot of time with the so-called Arab American community, which is also a very diverse community. And yeah. bless them of course, they have all of the best intentions in the world and their heart is all in the right place. But for me personally, as Hind, I think that the cultural output, the depth, the profound experience, the knowledge, the nuance, the self-criticism of the work that comes out of the MENA region is so much more intriguing and so much better for me than the work that comes out of the Arab American community across all of America, East, West, middle, you know, um, mm. there is a certain amount of nostalgia and a certain amount of conservatism and a certain amount mm-hmm. of lack of knowledge of the language and a mm. certain amount of a sentimentality and a fear of self-criticism and a fear of being Islamophobic that here in the Arab world, we don't have. We don't yeah. have, we don't worry about saying this is bad, this is terrible, because we're from here. We're allowed to mm-hmm. say these things. Nobody's gonna hold that against us. We don't care. And there are terrible, terrible things in our communities in the MENA region getting worse and worse and worse. And therefore, our job as artists is to both exalt and 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 honor and commemorate and and rejoice in the beauty that is profoundly across the board in the Arab world. There's profound beauty but also we have a lot of societal problems and we are able to to voice those issues. There's also a, a lived experience that I also, part of woke culture is this idea of lived experience that I'm learning about now in my midlife. And I didn't really pay any attention to it for years because what is, you know, no one thought about lived experience in Lebanon 10 years ago or Palestine. Now I realize that lived experience actually is a really important thing. And my Arabic is perfect. I grew up here. I grew up in Damascus around people who didn't speak English. I'm as yeah. Arab as Arab as they get. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I was in al Hamdi and the Jamil Amawi in the 80s before, you know, I mean, I, I am as Arab as Arab as they get and um, in many ways. And I think that informs work in a different way. Than, than the people trying to be in solidarity in the West or in Australia. I see it also in Australia a lot. So I'm not part of that group of people, I think, in terms of the work that I do, because I'm always going to come back here and do the work here. Even if I base mm-hmm. myself out of New York for mm-hmm. issues of personal safety, for issues of censorship, for issues of visibility, that's the other flip side of this. It's like yes, you can make more interesting work in this region where the issues are more urgent and the communities uh, bigger, and and you have access to so many amazing stories, particularly as a documentarian. But but you really 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 don't have the resources. You have no funding. There's very few producers. We don't have enough craft in terms of writing. Um, it's it's a Mm. difficult place to make this kind of art. Whereas in New York, there's probably a lot more support, funding, professionalism, and industry. There is an industry. I can actually get work screened if I make it, which in the Arab world, we're still building. Haram, people Mm. are doing their best. People are tirelessly working in Beirut, in an imploded country, to maintain Mm. cinemas and exhibits and all that. But Mm. it's hard. So it's a fine balance between kind of keeping the relationship with the Levant particularly, you know, alive and making sure that the stories are authentic and that you are part of this community. But trying now at 44 for a better career, a different echelon in my career. And for that to happen, I need mentorship, which is seriously lacking here in the MENA region. Like I haven't had a mentor in 20 years. And mm-hmm. need I need someone older than me to teach me how to make independent films and survive. I need visibility. I need press. I need support. And I need someone to tell me, we believe in some of your talent. Let's do this. Here I'm sort of swimming on my own professionally in many ways, particularly in Dubai. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of like one foot in this world, one foot in that world, not belonging to either And for me, that's okay. It doesn't bother me. I've never worried about belonging anywhere. I've lived in six or seven countries. You know, my home is where I have my suitcase and my political identity and my emotional identity is Palestinian, even though I've never lived in Palestine. So I don't worry about the idea of home. And I don't worry Mm -hmm. about the idea of belonging. I don't care, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I, 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 it's interesting how you, you framed the issue of belonging, um, uh, and, and how that, um, allows you to keep going back and forth. Um, but you're also, it seems at least that you're also equally comfortable in both settings that you're able to translate, um, between those two worlds. Um, and, and and I guess harvest the stories from the region, but also tap into the networks and the industry and everything that it gives you and the freedom right um, that it gives you here in here in the west. Um, you, you said something Hind, that got me thinking about a, another question to um, to pick your brain um, which is the I guess, the Arab American community, and I, you know, I think this is also very much prevalent in the region. This um, challenge of um, self-critiquing and accepting self-critique, which um, is um, essential in filmmaking because it is very much a look inwards, particularly with all the issues that the region is facing from human rights to you know, um, injustices, uh, to, you know, poverty, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you are mentoring students you mentioned. So how do you, um, address that mindset, particularly in your mentorship and in the work that you're doing when you're pushing your story out? So, I mean, I'm no longer really involved in mentoring younger people. I
1: did that for a while and then I realized that I had to focus a little bit more on my projects and I've taken a step back from dealing with community or dealing with students. But I'll give you an example that's kind of rooted a little bit in my current project. And I've got four or five current projects happening um, between actually the US and the Arab world, Um, all in the kind of video essay, kind of video art, multimedia documentary performance poetry space my current film is a look at the christian communities that exist in galilee which is where i'm mm-hmm. from so somewhere mm-hmm. between Haifa, Nasra, Fasuta, Iqareth, and my dad's village and um looking at the rituals and rites and the gorgeousness of galilee and looking at identity under zionism identity as palestinian citizens of israel looking at Feeling othered by the fact that they're both Arab and Palestinian and Christian and not Jewish and all of that stuff. And also the fact that these things are also on the rise. Sectarianism is on the rise across the Arab world, as we know. And this was, you know, very upsetting for me because I grew up in a very secular place in Damascus in the 80s where I really felt almost no difference between me and my very Muslim neighbors. And for me now, 30 years later, to see see the divisions that are occurring between communities, in particular, and, you know, across the rest of the region. But my film focuses on Mm dakhil. There is no no, um, contradiction. There's no contradiction between saying, look at these minorities who have survived 70 years under the state of Israel and have held on to their land with their teeth and their nails and their blood and their sweat. Look at these farmers, these lawyers, these dancers, these goat herders, look at these doctors, these dancers, these priests, Um, and look at me returning at age 40 to my father's homeland with a different passport and learning about the land and learning about this community. And these are the things that I think are terrible. And these are the things that I think are astounding. And there is no problem with them both coexisting at the same time. I think mm-hmm. an adult is able to carry two thoughts at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: like the rising sectarianism and 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 the rising kind of um, tension between the different um, religious minorities and I don't you know I'm not a believer so I think defining people by their religion is problematic for me from the get-go and so. At the same time, I think these people are phenomenal people. I think that they have so much to tell us. I think that they have been made invisible to the world. And their, their region is gorgeous. The Galilee, the mountain, the food, the children, the women, the dancing, the weddings. I mean, my God, it is astoundingly lush and profound and ancient and mysterious. And so I can say I don't approve of the politics. And my family will very clearly say that and speak it out. And I will criticize my own family. Let's see how that goes. But I also (laughs) celebrate my family and I celebrate their olive harvest and I celebrate their kindness and their weddings and their food and their beauty and their incredible attachment to their Arab identity and language and land. So, you know, things are not black and white. There's always nuance. And I think that's really key. And, And the nuance comes from being from this community. You only understand it If Mm. you actually live it, it's hard Mm. for a person who has never experienced this to see the different nuance. And I certainly, Mm. I'm still learning. Every day I learn something because I didn't grow up in Palestine, but I'm from South Lebanon. And for me, South Lebanon and Northern Palestine, they are the exact same thing. Someone Mm -hmm. came, placed a line in between, some idiot placed a line in between and and that's it. Now we're two different people. But if you look at the geography, the language, the food, the way the villages look, the music, the sound, it is an extended, they're an extension of each other with no difference. So, you know, I want to celebrate that community and that's my next film. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm also working on a project now that's been eight years in the making. I've been following four female Arab poets around the world as wow. the Arab world implodes from one place to the next. I have been following um, <laughs> Zena Hashembeek, Dana Dejani, Riwa Zainati and Farah Shammah across 10 to 15 cities as they move around the world and their lives change. And we're dealing with issues of LGBTQ, of marriage, of divorce, of interfaith marriage, of children, of being child-free, of losing your money, of losing your home, of bonds, of, of revolution. I'm documenting 10 years in the Arab world through the poetry and the work of these four women. And do you think okay. these four women are not critical of the world around them? Of course, they're critical. Of are <laughs> very critical. Are they also not celebratory of the beauty that they grew up in? Of course, they're celebratory. And our poetry celebrates that. So in everything I do, there is uh, a very clear love for my community and a very clear desire to improve it. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is that also I'm a very specific type of filmmaker in the sense that I focus only on communities that very much resemble me because we mm-hmm. are the least, I think we are the least, um, we are the least uh, visible community in Western media, if you will. Like yeah. our, our community does do a lot of self um, it, it, it creates its own work and it, it puts itself out there in beautiful ways in music in you know, in many ways in poetry. But the West tends to prefer stories of a different type of Arab, a different mm. type of woman, a different type of oppression. And for me, Arab women who are um, badass and who have agency over their body and who are uh, kind of emancipated, if you will, they're going to save the Arab world. These are the women that are going to save us. It's not anyone else, unfortunately. Sorry, I'm mad. Maybe you can join us. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but Arab women, you know, of the women I know across the world, and I know hundreds of them, they're going to save the region. And these are the women whose stories I want to tell. There's enough people mm-hmm. filming in the refugee camps. There's enough people telling the stories of, you know, what happened, the horrendous atrocities that happened because of ISIS. All of this stuff is documented in a variety of channels. But what about women who are not dealing with this kind of oppression, who also have a lot to say, who have always been free or Mm -hmm. freer, if you will, who have three or four languages, who travel the world, who are gay, who have uh, husbands of a different faith, who decide to remain child free, who love to experiment sexually, who love to experiment with drugs, who love to make art, who love to teach. What about these women? Where are their stories? It's very rare. You see them now more in Tunisian films, you know, in, in, in Lebanese mm-hmm. cinema. They're getting mm-hmm. more and more and more. But that's, mm-hmm. recent. that's recent. And I'm yeah. one of the people who's committed to telling those stories mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's my lived experience. Uh, yeah. I, I, I cannot see myself making stories about a very different type of Arab woman,
2: mm-hmm. you know? Um, I'm hoping that you're that you're putting yourself among those four women that you're uh, you're going to be working on. Uh, are you are you? Do you think you'll be able to do that? Since you're also a writer, uh, are you going to have yourself weaving yourself into the narrative of this of this film with the four poets?
1: I mean, you know, I realize now <laughs> after filming, <laughs> after filming project in the Galilee after working with um, an amazing 85-year-old psychologist in D.C. whose film I just shot last month, which is my project next year. I'm working with an 85-year-old pioneer in psychology in, I won't mention her name now, but but um, in, in D.C., uh, mm-hmm. the most profound, the most badass, pioneering, tough, strong, working, dependent, intellectual woman my work with, um, the communities in Haifa and in Nazareth who are very much similar to me. All of the work I do is to talk about myself. I am extremely self-centered and love, love nothing more than to kind of describe what goes on internally in my psyche, the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Fascinating mm-hmm. to me, only to me.
2: But, awesome.
1: Yeah. But, but I do it through other people. Who I converse with, it's a conversation, and it's about them, but it's also about me. So does that answer your
2: question? Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to also know what you think when you said um, that these types of women are what's going to save to save the region. By save the region were you do you think you're you're alluding to what you mentioned about sectarian divides becoming more defined? more identity politics issues. Is that—is that what you see as like the, where the region's headed, where it needs, you know, sort of this kind of rescuing or is it more broad? Like, you know, the whole, the, the fact that the MENA region is so messy in general with, with different issues.
1: I mean, nothing in my life, nothing in my life has been sadder than observing what has happened in the last 15 years. Um, I never, ever, ever expected the region to turn into what it is because I grew up in a pan-Arab nationalist environment, where for me, Morocco to Kuwait was my homeland. This is what my parents taught me. And yeah. as a Palestinian who grew up in Damascus and in Amman and in Beirut, I felt that these were all my homelands. And my grandparents lived in Iraq. And so, you know, we we, we contain all of the Levant in us. Um, I think the Arab women will save the region in a way And I say this, you know, it's a poetic license term. But I think if these women, first of all, are having children and raising children with those values, those progressive, inclusive values, intersectional values of solidarity with Black people, with Jewish people, with all kinds of people, then that's a very good thing. That's the first step that we educate our children to not hate, to not other, to not discriminate. That's one thing. The second thing is that if these women who are, their tentacles are all over Europe and America and the region, if these women become ministers, doctors, politicians, singers, journalists, you know, which is what they are doing, then if they seize control, if they take some form of control back from the fossilized men in government, then we have a chance in the future. We need women in government in the Arab world. We need women in positions of leadership in NGOs. We need women to run universities. We need women to run mutual aid. And we need women to become artists. In fact, what's amazing about this region is that there are more female filmmakers in the Levant than there are in America. Our percentage is a thousand times higher than women in Hollywood. You know, I am one of many female Arab filmmakers far more hardworking and talented than I in the region. Um, Whereas in America, I think it's 4% in Hollywood, which is dismal, (laughs) abysmal, you know? So, you know, so in that sense, these women with their critical thinking, with their worldview, with their knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, with some, 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 some sort of moral compass, And because they've had to fight their whole life, which these men kind of haven't, they've had to fight for everything in many ways. They're very tough and they take Mm. on a challenge. And I find that when a group of women get together and work on something, it succeeds. There is a lot of power. And Mm. that's what I would like them to see them do. Whether that translates into actual radical change, maybe in a 50 years. I don't know. But... My work is to encourage and support and uplift.
0: And and that's amazing. Um, what you said, Hind, about more women filmmakers is actually, I guess, you know, this is a, a, a very minor example, but um, it's been more challenging for us to find male filmmakers for for this podcast. Um, so we, we featured a lot more women because there are more women in the industry. So that... Um, that's interesting that you, that you mentioned this um, here. Um, and I um, I wholeheartedly um, agree with you about the future of the region being um, led by women. I in, in the work that we do at the Wilson Center, we're focused on women in leadership, um, women in the workforce, women in entrepreneurship. And we're trying to better understand um, the the scene, not just highlight the challenges, but lift the voices of women who are doing so much on the ground. Um, and like you said, they have been fighting all their lives because um, it is a highly patriarchal society. Um, and the structures in place, the institutions in place, reflect that patriarchy. It's institutionalized. And so um, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Um, now, I would like to
1: just counter with one thing though, because yeah. I think it's so easy to get caught up in my feminism. I have to say, I love, I love so many Arab men. And, of course. <laughs> and I never want to demonize, you know, across the board. And I have to say that I think Arab men are under a tremendous amount of pressure and oppression yeah. and they are enslaved themselves by systems and by feudal lords and by war and by money and by all sorts of things. The patriarchy is bad for men. And yeah. if we liberate if we free our own men somehow, the, wor- the, the the whole region like is 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 going to be uh uplifted for lack like of lack of better world. I'm very jet-lagged, but 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 I, I have <laughs> I, I do not have hatred or or, or vengeance or anger. I'm not that person. I've been treated beautifully by my male friends and colleagues. A lot of them a lot of the films I make is mainly male crews all the time. And these are amazing men who have learned from me and taught me. And the amount of love and respect and consideration is astounding. And so in a way, I do wanna give a shout out to to all the, you know, from my generation and the younger generation. You know, male Arab artists who are also pushing boundaries and saying no to the bullshit that they don't agree with. You know, I don't want to demonize them. I think they have their own fight, and and we are together in this. And I do love a lot of them, and I benefit from them, and I support, and I learn from them. So there's that
2: too. Uh,
0: and thank you for for uplifting that, um, because as much as there's um, as much work there is out there on feminism there is a lot le- less on masculinity in the MENA region. And that's definitely something that needs to be explored and needs to be part of all the programming, um, uh, to better address just equality and gender in, in general. Um, so
1: I was just saying that I, I, am writing, um, I'm writing a, a fiction TV show, uh, where, the male protagonist is an Arab-American from Manhattan who grew up in New York. And the female protagonist is, you know, based on me and she's from the Arab world. And actually the patriarchy has ruined the life of this man from Manhattan who has mm. always had an American passport and money and security and like power. And hasn't. the patriarchy has not ruined the life of this girl from Damascus in mm. a way it has ruined this man's life from Bay Ridge. And so mm, I am cool. addressing... The struggles wow. that men have in their own way, because the patriarchy that comes from their grandparents, you know, ruins their life a lot more than mine.
2: Wow! Yeah, that reminded me of a lot of uh, Arab American men from from Brooklyn, from our generation, <laughs> in their forties, that have definitely carried I the we trauma. we lost
0: you for a minute.
2: Oh, you did. Hmm. Am I here? <laughs> Is that my back
0: you're, now? You.
2: Yeah, and thanks for thanks for mentioning that. And I'm so excited that you're focusing on that because it did remind me of so many Arab American men that carry this generational patriarchal trauma almost with them, even though they were born in, in Brooklyn or Bay Ridge, yeah. especially.
0: <laughs> My yeah, My God, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, amazing.
0: Uh, so um, we, as much as we want to keep you, we know that you're uh, busy and moving continents uh, so we want to wrap this up with, um, you know, our cliche question, wrap up question of what um, what advice do you have to youth in the region who want to enter this, this world that you are, um, you know, that you helped build in the region? The world of film, of poetry, of the arts. Uh, <laughs>
1: um, Temper your ego, you know. Like the first thing to do is not to develop an ego at a very young age because rejection is coming your way multiple times, multiple times, whether in funding or distribution or whatever. So really keep you know the ego in check, I would say. Um, hard for all of us to do, but it's a good life lesson. Um, what has always worked for me until it has stopped working now, but after 25 years it's stopped working, is I always knew that in order for me to fund an artistic practice, I had to be in the commercial world to a certain extent and make money. Unless you're born privileged, which I wasn't, or born rich, which I wasn't, or marry rich, which I have never, uh, you you need to make, you need to survive. And in order to do that, it's going to be very hard to do that with either poetry or independent film. And therefore, young people who want to enter this field have to be very, very clear that they're going to have to do a lot of work that they're not going to like for clients in a multiple in multiple ways, whether advertising or television or whatever it is. You know, I wrote bank copy for a while. I mean, you know, I, I have done endless amount of work that I am not proud of, that still taught me a lot, that put food on the table, that enabled me to thrive and grow, and I'm not ashamed of that. Um, it's just at a point I decided that that was enough, and I've done it. Now I can try to focus more on the art. But they have to have a a foot in the commercial world and a foot in the art world if they're going to survive and keep their lives moving so that they can make that art. It's a fine balance, but it's a great Mm -hmm. balance to learn. Everyone's going to do it. Particularly in a region where the industry is not developed. You're not going to make a feature film and then suddenly be able to live off that for five years. Anyway, it takes an average of seven years to make that feature film. How are you going to live for seven years? So, wow. you know, think about, yeah, six or seven years. Think about, you know, for them, you know, think about what, what you can do to make a living while also developing yourself as an artist. Um, and also please just don't self-censor. You know, it's really important that we continue to try and develop further and further boundaries because we're so afraid and we self-center and there's all this, you know, societal crap that I personally haven't had to be subjected to, but I might next year. Like I'm writing a a memoir now, which I don't think I can publish under my name. And, you know, it's it's kind of annoying for me to worry about that at 44. Um, Even though I have no uncles, no parents, no cousins who are going to shoot me, I still have to worry about people coming after me because of my memoir. So Mm -hmm. in a way, we have to balance uh what the what the sensors want us to balance and what our own internal fear and we have to keep pushing a little bit a little bit a little bit until things become more normalized that's important too and we have such little resources in the arab world to make projects that when you actually get the chance to make one make it edgy and as 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 forward and as thought provocative thought provoking as possible yeah, um, that's my my advice. And be kind to your community. Like, be really, really, really good with your community because the few filmmakers between us who are terrible humans get outed as terrible humans very quickly, and nobody's yeah. going to want to work with you. It's a very, very tiny space. Yeah. So maintain your ethic, your ethical collaborative. You know. Ethical, collaborative spirit, and give credit where credit is due. I think that's the main one as well. Um, and the, I think the biggest one is, which is what I've learned over a very difficult experience, is enjoy the process and not the outcome. Like mm. you to love the process mm. of the, the the incredibly tiring work of film, and not just the final product. Because once the final product is done, you're kind of over it and it may or may not come out the way you want it. It may or may not please people. But if you enjoy the, pros, the process, the actual looking at footage, the actual looking at a lens, the actual light coming into your room, the actual editing of a script, um, if you love that and if you revel in that, then that's a successful life. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the, of the outcome, you know, I think that's beautiful. So those are my very um, preachy word of middle-aged advice.
0: <laughs> uh, we we love it, uh, and we are so grateful that uh, you were able to join us today and um, share um, your thoughts um, and uh, a little bit more about your journey and who you are and and why you do what you do. Good luck with all the projects, and hope to see you in DC. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State.